It's time for midday here on this Thursday, the 15th day of April. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Glad to be a part of your day wherever you may be tuning in. Winter storm warning will go into effect at the top of the hour for the western region of Nebraska. Winter weather advisory also going to effect later on as well. Right now, Shadron inundated with snow. There are probably about an inch of snow so far. We'll hear more on that coming up in our regional ag weather update with Paul Perkins. Also coming up, we'll hear from Scott Foster as he's filling in yet again for Jason Jorgensen. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing here on this uh, Thursday. But as we always do, let's get uh, caught in with, uh, caught up, I should say, with our own Susan Littlefield. And uh, Susan, how are you doing today? Not too bad. It's sunny and chilly, but we don't have snow like the western half. Not, okay. not yet. At least hopefully you won't get any of that snow. Yeah, no kidding. I don't like that forecast. No, some, some rain in the forecast. That's okay. We'll definitely take that, but uh, keep the snow away primarily. Very much so. Very much so. I just heard a planter go by, so they don't want snow either. Well, no, they don't. No, they don't. So uh, what do you have coming up for us on Midday? Well, we're kicking off here at 1219 as Alex with the Angler Journey will be checking in with a teaching woman who teaches business and entrepreneurship at the Westside High School in Omaha. So we'll get more details on that. Then at 1245, she'll be back with the Nebraska Beef Quality Assurance Program Director talking about the upcoming training and recertification sessions for those with BQA. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as we continue our Women in Agriculture series. This one was probably by far one of the funnest interviews I've gotten a chance to do, and it was with Nancy Stuthman from Platt Center, Nebraska. She has been in agriculture since uh, 1962 when she used those two famous words, I do. So ah, we'll have more on that. Okay, very good. And by the way, where can somebody find all those previous interviews that you guys have done for the Women in Ag series? We have them all listed um, within the website under the um, Ag News Stories. And then when all is said and done, we will encapsulate them all. Alex is going to put them all on one page podcast for folks to listen to. But day by day, they can just check it out on our on our website, ruralradionetwork.com. Okay, very good. Great content there. Well done by uh, your staff as well. So appreciate everything. No problem. Thanks. All right, let's turn things over to Scott Foster and a big volleyball game coming up for Nebraska today. Finally. Uh, but, what, 19 days off for the uh, Nebraska women. That has been quite a long uh, stretch, and you know John Cook has got them ready to go. Uh, they'll be taking on Texas State. We'll introduce you to Texas State uh, coming off their pretty impressive run right now out of the Sun Belt Conference, so we'll introduce you to them a little bit coming up. Also, it is Jackie Robinson Day, so uh, every team that's plays today, they'll all be wearing number 42. Great tradition. I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm glad that they started this, uh, and it's great that the entire, all the teams and everybody is really taking a part in this. And you might be wondering, if your team isn't playing today, what happens? Well, they'll have 42 right. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. All right. So good stuff. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, Bob Brogan is in, and uh, how are the stocks doing? Stocks rallying toward records. Uh, a, a lot of data coming in suggesting the recovery for the economy and corporate profits is accelerating. Also, uh, the jobless report uh, was looking somewhat hopeful, and uh, it seems that layoffs are easing just a bit. And the White House has announced the explosion of 10 Russian diplomats and sanctions against dozens of people and companies. All right. Thank you very much. 
Time for regional ag weather update, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins back in the studio, and Paul, we are uh, seeing winter happening in the western region of our listening area. Definitely on into the Chandran area. If you look at some road cams there mm. or the Vero wireless camera network there into Chandran, a lot of snow falling, but luckily the roads are still dark there, so it's not accumulating on the roads. As, and we will see more of that snow expand to the east as it is expanding to the south right now over the Nebraska Panhandle. Most of the snow from about Hyannis to Chowderon and Gordon. We're also seeing some scattered areas of light snow from Scotts Bluff to Sydney. Also some areas of light snow towards Valentine. Most of us going to see some snow, at least for a brief time. And a lot of it's going to just probably accumulate on the grassy areas, but probably just some minimal travel problems. But as you go to the panhandle, up to 5 to 10 inches of snow possible. <laughs> and that's just in the next 24 hours, yes, right? Yes, yeah. That, that is their storm mm-hmm. outlook right now, where, of course, we do have a winter storm warning in effect there. Now, virtually everywhere else, except probably far eastern regions, are going to see maybe some rain by the end of this weekend. Yeah, some welcome rain, uh, welcome rain across the area. Most of us will see at least about a half an inch to an inch of some moisture with this system passing through. Looks to be pretty widespread. Now, for now, again, the story has been these mild temperatures. Yet again, we're only in the 40s at 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, not uh, going to see a whole lot of warming up over the next few days, and that cold pattern expected to continue for quite a while. We are still seeing some patches of sunshine from about Ord down to Aurora and York on into southeast Nebraska and nearby parts of Kansas. Most of us still with some mostly cloudy to cloudy skies. Temperatures on into the Nebraska Panhandle in the low to mid-30s where that snow is falling, but a lot of us with temperatures currently in the low to mid-40s. The chances for Rain and some snow increase for west and central areas today as low pressure begins to emerge from the Rockies. Temperatures today nearly 15 degrees colder than normal. Rain with some snow likely tonight through tomorrow when that main area of low pressure tracks to the east. Expected rain totals now trending a bit higher with this system. Will be a widespread rain event. Most locations expected to see about a third of an inch to an inch of rain. But central, west central, and southwest Nebraska on into northwest and north central Kansas could see upwards of one to four inches of snow, five to ten inches once again possible in the panhandle where we do have winter storm warnings in effect. Those precipitation chances taper off for tomorrow night through early Saturday as that low departs to the east. Our daytime highs tomorrow, 20 degrees colder than normal, but not record cold for this time of year. Sunday will feature a brief warm-up before another cold front pushes south from Canada on Monday. The slightly cooler than usual temperatures on Sunday dropping to about 10 degrees below average for early next week. Weak disturbances behind that front will result in additional small chances of rain and snow Monday into Tuesday, but not overly active. In the long-term forecast, colder than normal temperatures remain likely for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through April 28th, especially the middle part of next week. It's not going to be overly active with precipitation below normal precipitation predicted for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the 28th. Soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning, as low as the upper 30s along and west of a line from Norfolk to Lexington and McCook. From the Tri-Cities on into southeast Nebraska and much of northern Kansas, the soil temperatures in the low 40s to the south of I-70 in Kansas, soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s. Latest regional drought monitor shows Nebraska staying 39% drought free with no dryness concerns in areas along and east of a line from Burwell to Broken Bow, Kearney and Franklin. Most other areas continue to be abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought remains over the southwest. In Kansas, also no changes. We're at 
78% drought-free. Most western areas that are along and west of a line from Norton to Gove and Hewkinton continue to be abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe drought remains from Atwood to St. Francis and the far southwest corner. Key weather factors driving the markets include much colder weather for the central U.S. and minimal rain in major corn areas of Brazil. Lower temperatures slowing the growth for winter wheat in the Midwest and Plains. There could even be some frost damage to wheat in the far western areas of the southern plains across central Brazil. Mostly light rain may pop up through early next week. Stress to developing second crop corn expected to continue. A stall front in southern Brazil moving north this weekend, but with mostly light rain, a stress to their second crop corn also. So snow happening right now, heavy stuff in the Shadron area. And we're thinking pretty much if you're North Platte, north and south, and then everything west, likely going to see some of that uh, that snow accumulation. Exactly. And, of course, the main brunt of it into the uh, Nebraska Panhandle, especially from about Hyannis and Ogallala and points to the east. I guess if you want to look at it in a positive <laughs> way, it's uh, going to be at least some precipitation, and you'll take it. Yes, uh, a lot of people liking to see a little, uh, about that half an inch to an inch of rain that we're going to be seeing. Uh, uh, that will be rec- welcome moisture just to add on to uh, get rid of the dryness concerns. What would be even better if this was our last <laughs> snowstorm of the year? But we could see more snow this weekend or next it. weekend. Uh, it, that cold period is standing, standing in right now for April. Wishful thinking, Paul, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we can only hope so all right for a full weather forecast especially with this winter storm warning where can you find that at weather page krvn.com all right thank you the angler entrepreneurship journey celebrating success embracing failure and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you they all started small and they've probably failed a thousand times that's the voice of Jeanette Kleppinger. She's a Westside High School business teacher in Omaha and school of entrepreneurial thinking facilitator Jeanette said that creating a community is important in teaching high schoolers about entrepreneurship. So how do we create a community that fosters curiosity, embraces asking questions, and thinking differently? So I think that's the biggest thing we focus on initially. And then the other thing we really focus on is observing. Our high school students, like many, are engaged in their phone. So when we talk about, hey, when you go out to dinner, Don't just put your head in your phone. Look around, or when you're standing in line at the grocery store, look around. What are things you observe or notice that maybe are problems or things that can drive change? Jeanette said that getting high schoolers to look up from their phones is one of the hardest things about teaching entrepreneurship. But she said once the high schoolers focus on observing, it's a game changer for their entrepreneurial education. I think those are the best conversations we have in the classroom is when they come back from a weekend and we talk about, hey, what did you write in your observation journal? What did you notice? The ideas that spawn from there is pretty cool. Some never come to fruition, obviously, but it spirals that thinking of, whoa, there can be change. And Jeanette describes those types of students as change agents. I think someone who's willing to ask the why. Why are we doing this? And not only of themselves, but sometimes in people of power. You know, why respectfully are we doing it this way? And have we thought about this? And why don't we try this type thing? I think is huge for our kids. Um, especially with the high school setting. I think a lot of times they aren't empowered to take on that leadership role, especially when working with adults. Remember that Jeanette is a facilitator at the School of Entrepreneurial Thinking at Westside High School in Omaha. She said that's a program that gives real-life experiences to high schoolers, much like the Angler program does for college students. So I think one of the biggest things we have in our program is it's very individualized. 
So no one can hide in the back of the classroom. And it's a smaller program in that I get to know each student really, really well. And the other big thing is our students really do push each other. So maybe not even verbally, but when I witness someone watching another kid, like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Why am I not working hard enough to get to that point? Or gosh, if he can do it or she can do it, why can't I try it? So I think sometimes our students are our biggest motivators of each other. And that goes back to that community piece of trusting each other and building that community. I'm fortunate I am in a community that really supports entrepreneurship. So we have created a fund for our students. So every semester, if not more often, they have the opportunity to pitch their business ideas. But that really gives them that high stakes. It's not just pitching to a teacher. It's pitching to a community. It's a venture capitalist. It's people in our Omaha chamber that they pitch to. So that really pushes them and says, oh my gosh, I can't make a fool of myself in front of these high stakes people. And it reduces that barrier of, well, this will never come to fruition because I don't have the money to do it. In this case, they have thousands of dollars they can tap into to get off the ground. And Jeanette said that one of her main goals in teaching entrepreneurship in high school is to change the way that teachers and students think about education. When I look at education now, I think we're moving in a really good direction. And I think technology and COVID, maybe online, has really put us to think differently in terms of how we assess and how we ask our kids our questions. They've got the answers to the multiple choice tests in their pockets. And so why do they need to know that? So I think next steps is how do we make those connections of what we're doing in science is truly entrepreneurial wow. because we are identifying problems and we are creating change. Creating those connections for students is crucial. You can learn more about Jeanette Kleppinger and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln at angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Scott Foster stepping in for Jason here today. Well, Scott, there's a big uh, game in Omaha, not Lincoln. Not far, though. Not, not far. far. Not far. The CHI yeah, Health right, Center. Go. That's a that's a mouthful, too. The CHI Health Center and Convention Center. I don't know if you watched any of those. I saw some of the highlights. You're not kidding. They were playing in people's garages. And, yeah, uh, no. The, the one game, Creighton, I believe, was playing in some hallway, uh, maybe in somebody's closet. <laughs> I think Yesterday, so. when I was trying to tune in, it was it was. I don't know what I was watching. I mean, it's almost a little embarrassing. I was going to say it's borderline embarrassing. Play in hallways or essential ballrooms is what the what they're playing in right now. You can't tell me there's not other venues around Omaha or right. split it between Omaha and Lincoln. That's a forty-five minute drive. It's not that far at all. You know, it, it doesn't. And there's high schools in Council Bluffs. You know, it will go, that too. You yeah. know, and if they can do the. The men's basketball as well as they did in Indianapolis. That's what I was getting ready to compare it to, yep. I'm just saying there's other options there instead yeah. of having to play in the janitor's closet in your first or second round games. But that's Uncle hard. Bob's garage. Anyway, yeah. doesn't yeah. matter. I guess they're <laughs> glad to be playing. And certainly the Nebraska volleyball team is who's have nineteen days off. They're gonna open the NCAA tournament. Two thirty today. You can hear that game on Cami. Huskers will take on Texas State, which defeated Utah Valley, and you're kind of like, oh, wow. Texas State, though, played 38 regular season matches, more than any team in the country, spread out over both the fall and the spring, and posted a 30-8 and regular season record. The Bobcats, who won the Sun Belt Conference in November for the third year in a row, mm. 
They will be. They're coming off a three and three to one, three sets to one win at number nine Baylor in April, before po- posting a three sets to one win over Utah Valley in the first round. Big matchup. Uh, it can be a tough first round matchup overall. At least, hopefully, we got the cafeteria to play in. We'll see. But uh, yeah. again, that game is over on Cami Country. If you're interested, 1580 AM, 100.1 FM, and 92.7 FM as well. But again, that's over on Cami Country, 231st. It'll just be it'll be good to hear John Baylor talking Agreed. talking again. All major league baseball players, managers, and coaches, and umpires and umpires will wear number 42 today to celebrate Jackie Robinson. It marks the anniversary of the date Brooklyn Dodgers Hall of Famer made the major league baseball. Debut and broke the sports color barrier in 1947. And a cool video produced by MLB Network entitled Thank You, Jackie, narrated by former star Curtis Granderson, will present Robinson's impact. And it was obviously much more than just baseball. Uh, one of the best traditions in all of sports. Oh, yeah. It sure. really, it really, really is. Houston, we talked a little bit about this today. yesterday. The Astros have put five players on the injured reserve because of COVID-19. Jose Altuve, Alex Bergman, uh, Jordana Alvarez, and Mar- Martin or Martin yeah, Maldonado. I don't know if that's Candy Maldonado's kid or not. I hope it is because I loved Candy Maldonado. Anyway, so that's going to kind of set things apart. Um, they had to send eight pitchers home because of virus so anybody who can pitch is doing it (laughs) and finally uh the tokyo olympics boy if this thing goes off it'll be something Mm -hmm. two officials in japan's ruling party have suggested separately that the tokyo olympics could be in for some radical changes one one says they could be canceled the Mm -hmm. other says they could proceed without fans which just ruins it. Uh, the speculation comes only a day after Tokyo reached the 100 days to go mark. Liberal Democratic Party Secretary General Toshio Nikkei, I uh, know him well, says cancellation is still an option with coronavirus cases rising across the country. So, yeesh. Listen, if this does go off, we, and if you like the Olympics like I do, especially all the, the awkward sports, weird sports that you see every four years, uh, you're in for, we're going to be in for a treat. You have the Summer Olympics yeah. this year mm-hmm. and the Winter Olympics next year. So we'll hit them. Yeah. I'm glad you're back to back years. I'm looking forward them. to. No, listen, I love it. Right. What I don't like is when we play on, uh, you know, across the world and you they're really delayed or you have to like stay up oh, till yeah. 2 a.m. in the morning. Well, I'm just yes. saying, bring it a little closer to the our time zone. It's a small complaint. It doesn't matter. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. I'll, I'll take it up with that. This is a complaining Olympic. sportscast, apparently, this entire time. <laughs> yes, it really is. Goodness. All right. <laughs> we can't be pleased. That's it. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Greg Sharp tonight on Sports Sunday. We'll hear from the head basketball coach, Fred Hoiberg. His first meeting with the media and us since the end of the season. That and the face-off is back. I get in the ring with Josh. That and more tonight here on Sports Highly. Listen tonight on the longest-running Husker affiliate, 880-KRVN. Governor Pete Ricketts has rejected to a federal request to help house accompanied migrant children. Ricketts says this was an issue created by the Biden administration in a rush to undo the Trump administration rules regarding the southern border. Basically, what that did was send a message to folks south of the border to come here. In fact, uh, there's news stories where you've got uh, migrants saying that they felt like they were invited by Biden to come here. 
And so what we've got now is 19,000 unaccompanied minors at the southern border and, uh, you know, an emerging humanitarian crisis. And what the Biden administration needs to do is work with the Central American governments to re- reunite these families. Ricketts adds that states are not prepared to handle the children and say those funds and resources that would be used to help house them would take away from the children already in Nebraska. State officials say Nebraska state government tax collections beat expectations in March. The Nebraska Department of Revenue reports net tax collections of $363 million for the month, which is 18.6% higher than the certified forecast of $306 million. The increase was driven by higher-than-expected sales and use and individual and corporate income tax receipts. Miscellaneous tax receipts were lower than expected. Tax collections are also up for the fiscal year, which ends on June 30th. The state has netted $4.133 billion so far in the fiscal year, which is 15.6% above the state's certified forecast of $3.574 billion. Nebraska health officials continue to find more coronavirus cases caused by different strains of the virus in the state. Health officials said 291 cases of variants of the virus have been confirmed in Nebraska, up from 237 a week ago. Most of these cases were caused by a variant that was first identified in the United Kingdom that is more contagious. The state said the number of people hospitalized with the virus in the state has generally been increasing since late March, although the number has declined slightly in the past few days and it remains well below the peak of 987 reached in November. The University of Nebraska at Kearney campus will look a little different when the 2021-22 school year begins. UNK is removing four vacant buildings this spring and summer as part of its campus master plan. The project, contracted to blessing construction of Kearney, is expected to begin within the next two weeks and be completed in early August. The former Luke and Jake's Barbecue restaurant UNK's East Heating Plant, Conrad Hall, and the Otto C. Olson Building will be torn down using an excavator. Blessing Construction will be doing the demolition work and plans to recycle materials from all four buildings to be used as substitutes for virgin materials in other projects. You can find more news at krvn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. Beef quality assurance trainings across the state of Nebraska are about to ramp up. And today we're learning more with Jesse Fulton. He is the program director for Nebraska's BQA program. Jesse, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before we get into these trainings, remind us first what the beef quality assurance program is. Yeah, so the beef quality assurance program is a checkoff funded program. Um, It's a nationally coordinated program that is state implemented. So there is a national beef quality assurance and what they do is they come up with a lot of our material that we have. It's all based on research. Um, and then uh, uh, here in the state, we have our state programs where we're the boots on the ground. We're going out to the producers, um, the feed yards, and helping them get BQA certified. Uh, this program is a voluntary program that is producer-driven. Um, and so we're just really trying to help get all of our producers in line with the Beef Quality Assurance Program to help them become uh, more profitable and sustainable and ensuring that animal welfare is top of mind on their operations. And Jesse, you and I were chatting before we came on air today that you've been really busy scheduling all of these trainings. What's coming up on your schedule? Yeah, so it's it's been a little bit since we've been able to do a road show of beef quality assurance events uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're starting to see a lot of relaxation in some of those uh, restrictions that we were operating under. And so we're trying to get our calendar packed full of BQA trainings to ensure we can catch everyone. So 
starting in April, we're going to have our first one uh, in Oshkosh, but then it'll, we'll take a little break until probably May, and we're still trying to line up a few more there, so definitely keep an eye on our BQA website. But in June, starting June the 14th all the way to the 18th, um, we're going to be traveling all the way across the state. We're going to be starting in the northeast on the 14th, and we're going to end uh, probably in Imperial or Ogallala um, for those trainings. Um, for all those details, definitely go online to the bqa.unl.edu website, and you'll be able to see the calendar event of all those trainings and uh, see what you need to do to get uh, RSVP'd and hold you a spot to attend one of those trainings. So, Jesse, 30,000-foot perspective for a producer who hasn't been to a BQA training session before. What exactly does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, if you've been to a BQA training before, um, this first go-around, it's not going to be much different. It's going to be about the same thing. We're going to cover, cover the BQA material, some of the new material that we have. There, you know, the beef industry is always evolving and always changing. So we're going to bring you up to date to some of the things that have changed in the industry and what you need to know. Um, from here on out, though, uh, Nebraska BQA is making some changes on how you can get recertified. So you need to remember that your BQA certification is good for three years. Now, after you get recertified after the uh, three years, we're going to change it to where you can get recertified by, A, taking the course again like you always have, or we're making it, you know, continuing education for our producers is very important to us. And so we're going to kind of do it like veterinarians have to do it to where if they go to some uh, events that we find that are continuing education for our producers, um, they can use that uh, to get recertified. And we'll just have them take a recertification test and move on. Another way they can get recertified is by participating in one of our scored BQA assessments on their operation. Uh, if they pass that assessment, um, then they can uh, just take that recertification test again, and they can be uh, BQA recertified. Um, this just helps them uh, be in the know on BQA and uh, help them implement BQA a lot better on their operations. Um, so I'm hoping that a lot of our producers are excited to hear that, that we're offering different ways for them to get recertified than just sitting through the BQA course every three years. Sure thing. And remind us, Jesse, who's eligible to go through this training? Yeah, so anyone can become BQA certified. Typically, we target people, um, you know, producers that are 18 years or older. Um, that's cow-calf stocker backgrounders, our, our feed yards. You know, we have veterinarians that go through this as well. They want to know what they can be doing uh, for the beef industry on their clients' operations. And so we have veterinarians that go through BQA as well. Um, if, if you're younger than 18, there is a program for you. Um, the Youth Quality Assurance uh, for the Care of Animals is typically what we have our, our younger folks go through. Um, and then if you're a dairy operation, uh, the Beef Quality Assurance Program has teamed up with the Farmers Assuring Responsible Management, or the FARM program. And so if you participate in the FARM program, then you're already BQA certified. So BQA is for everyone and anyone, and we hope that uh, anyone that works cattle, handle cattle, it doesn't matter if they have one animal or if they're caring for 100,000 animals, uh, we hope they get BQA certified. All right, great information. And that website one more time, Jesse? Yeah, the website uh, to find out more on Nebraska Beef Quality Assurance is bqa.unl.edu. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us at nebraskabqa.unl.edu at or call 
633-0158. All right. Great information as always. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thank you. That again is Jesse Fulton joining us. And again, if you are up for recertification for your BQA training or you're interested in taking part in it for the first time, just go to that website to learn more information. I'm Alex Wojcicki broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Keep it tuned to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for the Midday Business Report. Here's Bob Brogan. Stocks are rallying toward records on Wall Street after a suite of stellar data suggested the recovery for the economy and corporate profits is accelerating. The S&P 500 was seven-tenths of a percent higher in early trading and on track to surpass its all-time high set on Tuesday. Expectations are very high on Wall Street that the economy is in the midst of exploding out of the cavern created by the pandemic. Meanwhile, the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits fell sharply last week to 576,000 in a hopeful sign that layoffs are easing as the economy recovers from the pandemic recession. The Labor Department says applications plummeted 193,000 from a revised 769,000 a week earlier. Newly vaccinated and armed with $1,400 stimulus checks, Americans went on a spending spree last month buying new clothes and going out to eat again. The Commerce Department says retail sales surged a seasonally adjusted 9.8% after dropping about 3% the month before. American industry rebounded last month as the United States recovered from an unusually frigid February. The Federal Reserve reports that industrial production, including output at factories, mines, and utilities, rose 1.4% in March, reversing a 2.6% drop in February. And the White House has announced the expulsion of 10 Russian diplomats and sanctions against dozens of people and companies. The moves are to hold the Kremlin accountable for interference in last year's presidential election and the hacking last year of federal government agencies. That's the Business Report. I'm Bob Brogan. crisis. The pressure is growing on the CDC to loosen the restrictions on the U.S. cruise industry. With more businesses reopening and more than a million Americans traveling by plane each day, the cruise industry says it is being unfairly singled out by outdated rules and should be allowed to resume sailing. Captain John Murray runs Port Canaveral in Florida, the second largest cruise port in the world, and right now it's empty, and he's not happy. In my opinion, they're very unfairly targeted. There's no other industry that I'm aware of that's been uh, sidelined the way the cruise industry has been. So why this tension with the CDC? What does the CDC see that you don't? Uh, That's a very good question. If you go back in the history of the coronavirus, the first incidents happened to be on cruise ships, and I think that the industry has been unfairly painted in a very negative way. The state of Florida is suing the CDC, claiming it doesn't have the authority to keep ships in port. In Congress, the Cruise Act has been introduced that would revoke the CDC's power. Ashley Webster, Fox News. 
Fox on Tech. The FBI has been given the green light to fix malware in computer servers in the U.S. running Microsoft's Exchange server software. The Justice Department made the announcement of the court-authorized move to copy and remove malicious web shells from hundreds of vulnerable computer servers that are used to provide corporate email service. It comes in response to hacking groups that exploited zero-day vulnerabilities in Microsoft Exchange servers to access email accounts and place web shells, which are pieces of code or scripts that can give hackers remote administration. In the announcement, Assistant Attorney General John Deemer said the move, quote, demonstrates the department's commitment to disrupt hacking activity using all of our legal tools, not just prosecutions. In March, Microsoft announced the issue with Exchange Server software and released detection tools, patches, and other information to help victims of the hack, but hundreds of computers are said to still be running the altered software. With Fox on Tech, Brett Larson, Fox News. Oh, Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's go ahead and check in and see what we have coming up for the three set or the one seventeen here today. Years ago, in nineteen sixty-two, a young woman married a farmer and moved to the country. This woman in Ag Report is being brought to you by the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. For Nancy Stuthman, stepping onto the farm wasn't new, but carrying the responsibilities while her husband served our country just added a whole new layer. Nancy continues to this day farming with her husband, Arnie, outside of Platt Center, Nebraska, and she shared with me some of those early years of agriculture. Uh, well, at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, at that time, Arnie belonged to Air National Guard, so he would be gone in the summertime. Uh, the chores were always left to me. Um, I would help with the harvest. His dad taught me how to drive the tractor so I could haul silage. And um, it just, just went from there. I just, you know, I liked animals, so it, it was fine with me to, one of the things that Arnie said about you is, you I mean, you raise crops, you raise livestock, but you raise education. And I just love that statement because your operation has always had this open-door policy. That's right. Uh, we had teachers come by the busload out here, um, you know, just, just to see the operation, see how farming was. Um, we have had um, people from Thailand. Our county extension fellow brought people from Thailand out here to see just how the farm went. Well, we had also Mrs. Hauser brought out her children from Columbus School. She had gifted children, and she would bring them out for sessions. You know, it was always fun to have the kids here, and they were so, oh my gosh, they would have so many questions, you know, things. So that that's, you know, we've liked that. Talk about the international side of it. What was that like, having international visitors coming and whether there was a language barrier or just an education process you had to go into to explain to them about American agriculture? Well, it was really easy for us. The uh, group that were here, you know, spoke really good English, so that was, you know, language, no no language barrier. And, um, they, you know, they were curious how, how we farmed. What advice would you give to another woman in agriculture? A young, let's put it this way, you know, somebody who's just marrying in and coming to live on the farm. Uh, well, I've got uh, 
I have a grandson that is newly married, so I, I would say to his wife, you have to be patient, for one, one thing, patient. And time, things don't always work out exactly as you want them to. Because, they're, you know, time's important to a farmer. Uh, communication also, that's a big thing with us. You gotta have a line of communication. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't hold back if if there's something that I think maybe they should hear. I'll give it. So, how many children? Four children, nine grandchildren, and eight great grandchildren. And in the fall, they will welcome number nine. What you didn't get to hear, Nancy, an amazing baker. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with John Payton, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. John, as the grain settlements come across to my screen, what an impressive day it has been. New, brand new highs in the equities with a Dow 34,000 and a $6 handle in front of the corn. Albeit we don't settle there, what is the likelihood and probability we'll see that six handle once again in the near future? Uh, I got to think we'll see it. You know, you got wheat prices trading up here into the close of the day. Corn just takes a back seat, I think, in a day like that. So uh, front month specifically with the deferred deferred new crop contracts actually trading pretty well after uh, being down mid-morning. Uh, now, story's the same, and we're just at higher prices now where what, what you and I would call noise is just going to generate more price action just so that everybody's ready. You know, 12-cent ranges are going to be, uh, you know, the norm here. Uh, so keep that in mind. Offer some good opportunity. I imagine you're going to see margins go up. Um, we haven't seen that yet. On the soybean side, you know, the crush numbers were, they were good, but they weren't as good as I think we thought we'd get a year ago. But all that does is put the uh, the pressure on uh, soybean oil because if we're not crushing as much in many soybeans, that means we're not making as much oil, and oil markets are tight. So soaring oil basis keeps the crush uh, profitable through the summer. I don't think you're going to see dips get too far down. And, again, I like those oil contracts continuing to buy into delivery. I think that's the way you have to think, kind of the opposite of a year ago when uh, when corn would go into delivery a year ago, all that supply would just wait to the front of the curve and we'd fall and then rinse repeat when the next delivery contract came on the books. Now it's kind of the opposite where mail traded a high and then July, you know, has a little bit of a, you know, a spread below it. And then eventually that'll be with the price point. I think, uh, you know, we're going to stay up here for a while. In my opinion, I just don't think you're going to see enough sell side pressure until the U S farmer grows it. So plenty to consider there. In terms of a more macro stance on it, the U.S. putting more sanctions back on Russia today. Any concern here with what will likely do to the Russian ruble, moving it lower? Well, if, the, you know, if Russia could just produce a massive amount of sum and grow every year, I would. A little bit like how Brazil's doing it with soybeans, but they don't have that ability in Russia, at least not yet. Um, so, you know, they're going to have problems. They're going to have major inflation problems. And I think that's what the sanctions are designed to do. They're designed to put price pressure on Russia to the upside, and then hopefully their population overthrows leaders. That's, I think, the plan. Uh, the side effects could be, you know, increased wheat competition from the Black Sea, but they only can plan it once a year. So I imagine you'll see record acreage this coming season. Um, but, again, they won't get that supply for another 12 months. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter, This Week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing.
Thank you, Clay. That'll wrap up this midday edition on a Thursday. You can catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors, wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com.